And um, if you've just tuned in, good morning to you. This is Brunch with me, Sadi, right through till 12 o'clock. And my guest now, as I've said, We've got a very special um, uh, JJ's Music Box now, and we are featuring Barbara Streisand, and that was her. And Jayang Javeri is in the studio with me at this very moment. Good morning to you, Jayang. Morning, Sadia. How are you? Great. It's great. <laughs> we had you on last week, yes. and that was fantastic. Now, when you mentioned Barbara Streisand, I thought, oh, do you know, I like Barbara Streisand. I really enjoy her music. Some of her films were a bit funny, too, I remember. I think it was Funny Girl, wasn't it? So, yeah. So, now that track that we've just played, Something's Coming? Yes, that was from West Side Story. Um, and uh, she did an album in 1985 of some diverse bo- uh, Broadway tracks. And it was from that. It was specially rearranged from that album. And um, I, I started off with that because um, really I think her forte is Broadway mm-hmm. and uh, musicals. Very and, theatrical, uh, isn't she? Yeah, and mm. with the kind of operatic voice that she has, pitch perfect um which traverses three octaves effortlessly uh, with uh, her trademark Brooklyn nasal twang. Yeah, you know, she has yeah. that, you know. But uh, so I thought it would be a nice way to begin. And also it's timely because she celebrates her 81st birthday in less than two weeks on oh, April the 24th. 81, wow. Wow, yeah. Wow. Yep, and uh, I believe she occasionally performs. Um, and uh, But, you know, with a career spanning over six decades um, and, uh, uh, you know, she's um, um, obviously, um, uh, of course, she's a singer. But uh, she's also uh, an acclaimed producer and director and an actress. A talented lady, isn't she? Yep, absolutely. Mm. And she's one of those that we featured who's probably not had any training in music. I was just going to ask you, actually, whether she was trained or not. And no, she wasn't. No, no, not formally. At least there is no record of her having ever attended music school. She she does not know how to read and write music, for instance. Mm. So she picked it up by listening to greats such as um, um, Billie Halliday, Edith Piaf, Ella Fitzgerald, and kept listening to those records, kept studying them. And as far as her acting career is concerned, she studied the lives, the biographies of great actors and great uh, drama, uh, dramatists, um, spent hours in her, the library at her high school. And this is how she developed her talents. Very much a self-made woman then in that a- respect. Absolutely. She? Absolutely. Mm. Um, so she was born to Jewish parents, um, but her father passed away when she was barely, uh, well, she just a few months over a year old. And mother struggled to make a living. And uh, incidentally, music was in the family because her mother was an itinerant soprano. Oh, okay. So she's got it from somewhere then. Sure, sure. But she had to give up, her mother had to give up that to, you know, work because she had to make ends meet. Um, And uh, she, Barbara, was obviously drawn to the world of um, showbiz, um, which was um, theatre and uh, Broadway. The mum was dead against it. <laughs> yeah. And she was horrified because at one stage um, after Barbara cleared high school, she lived a lifestyle which her mother thought was pretty much like a gypsy, you know, moving from house to house and sleeping with friends and but just anything to further her career. Wow. Yeah. And but this oh, this opposition from her mum only strengthened Barbara's resolve to make it big. Um, and... Uh, 
so her main passion was acting and after her first break on stage in 1957 followed a series of bit roles on uh, in New York theater and uh, she was marked out for her voice singing voice which she honed as i said by listening to the greats um some would say that uh, her voice is a melange of all these voices uh, these i mean it's got the dynamics and the range um the, the power of billy halliday um and the softness of ella fitzgerald when and she it was just so malleable and expressive um so let's hear uh, one from a broadway um uh, show um a little light music which uh, was uh, written by stephen sonheim and he com- he wrote an additional verse for this special recording from the same broadway album which was released in 1985 and mm. I'm just going to put this out there I'm a little bit of a rule follower <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm quite I get a bit prude with this I'm like excuse me you know um and I was I was really shocked I was like there were people quite like about six people in a group of about 40 or 50 people just with their phones out just videoing the entire thing passing snacks around and I know it was a children's thing but there were signs and I was like surely like when did people get so funny about theater etiquette like I thought there was etiquette you're meant to you're meant to do what they say in the signs in a theater um but it was interesting because I don't know if you've seen the news recently but theater etiquette has been on the news big oh. time in the UK okay I yes. I I'm not aware of it anyway but that's good Tell well, <laughs> so re- recently, recently a performance of The Bodyguard in London at mm-hmm. the Palace Theatre mm-hmm. had to be stopped after audience members refused to stop singing along. <laughs> They called the police, Sadia. It was oh. really bad. Yeah. It was the last 10 minutes of the performance apparently, and um there were some people in the I mean, you have to have some guts really to be doing this, but just trying to sing over the cast members and it wasn't that many people. So in a huge theater, these people were singing really really loudly and it, they had to stop the show. They had it, they're like it's not a sing along. This isn't karaoke. Oh, it's theater. Goodness. You shouldn't be doing this. You ruined it for everybody, you know? Oh. Um and so people have been talking about this quite a lot and it happened apparently there was Bat Out of Hell, a musical as well. <laughs> this was stopped for an a disruptive audience member who wouldn't stop, you know, was 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 talking really loudly and arguing with someone and again these are things that i mean it's, it's just i mean for me i'm like i'm just like how could you put yourself out there how do you think you're better than this you know 100 other people in the room with you that you think you're you know um and i don't know how much alcohol played a part in either of these mm. situations mm. but i was also just kind of like wow it's actually become this conversation that people are having overseas about like has everyone forgotten how to go to the theater we sit nicely we listen nicely we clap that's how the performances you know go and i understand there's always some exceptions to the rules right about that and there are certain performances that encourage you to take part and want you to like pantomimes you know there's things yeah. like that but this is this is very civic so anyway i thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about theater etiquette because i wanted to recap it and reaffirm for myself like have i missed the beat is this what people do now do we just go to the theater and have a riot um so 
I wanted to have a bit of a, a chat about that today. Mm. Have you have you spent um, a lot of time? Have you gone to a lot of musicals or performances and stuff, Sadi? I know you used to live in London. I have indeed, and it's so funny when you mention this. I went to see Thriller in in Central London, you know, in uh, South Bank, I mm. think it was, and and obviously Thriller is full of all Michael Jackson's hits. And there were two girls sitting in front of me, and seriously, they were literally just standing up as well and singing and moving with the music so they were the only lot they were in front of me but it was just funny it was just like mm. they were so engrossed and then um, and then I went to see Mamma Mia and Mamma Mia obviously anything to do with sort of ABBA everyone knows the music everyone mm. knows the mm. tracks and everyone participates so I, I think there's a marked difference between sort of audience participation certainly in the UK compared to say in Hong Kong people were less inclined to do things like that so I'm quite surprised to hear that you know you're you're getting all this happening in Hong Kong but I think yes maybe things like alcohol make a bit of a difference because mm. the people are more inclined towards that in, in um in the UK where they go in after a meal and things like that and they're a little bit merry applaud between movements and whenever else they felt like it actually and actually if they didn't applaud composers would take offense um, but in the early 19th century some European composers like um, Mendelssohn pushed for audiences to remain silent until the end of the piece to avoid long interruptions. Um, so it's quite interesting, like how it's kind of culturally changed as well. You know, I can imagine in certain places, people are very enthusiastic. You want to clap every time you hear something and other places they really want to give the space to listen and everything as well. So I think that's quite interesting. Um, soft, there's a myth that soft conversion chatting softly um, during a performance is acceptable. But actually the truth is when the lights dim, you got to be quiet Good. out of respect for others. You've got to be quiet. And the protocols for audience behavior have changed dramatically throughout theatre history because if we go right back to the history of theatre in ancient Greece and ancient Greek audiences, they were very unruly and they would <laughs> drum their heels if they didn't like a performance. Um, you know, they would shout and scream during the age of Shakespeare. Audience members could walk around, eat and drink during a performance. Um, they often cheered and booed and occasionally threw objects at the actors. <laughs> um, so it's a bit Eggs. different again. <laughs> Um, but of course, that's not what we have today. And of course, you know, when we think about like ancient Greek plays or even a lot of Shakespeare plays, these were long. They were very long. I mean, I know that the attention span of our, our forebearers was probably much longer than our t current goldfish type attention spans thanks to technology. But still, you're talking about hours and hours. So I can understand that maybe they got up for a snack. Um, but in the 19th century, there was a European movement to establish more ornate performance venues. And this coincided with a strong push to organize and manage audience behavior. So there's a lot of no speaking policies today. Um, and this uh, this this remains a very high priority for certain types of theatre, including Japanese kabuki theatres, where performances of a very traditional art form, they, don't, they never use microphones. So it's incredibly important that mm. people are quiet because mm. you have to hear the actors speaking. Um, so I thought that was very interesting as well. And yes, yeah, so the other, the other myth is that, you know, audiences can just come and go for bathroom breaks throughout a performance, right? It's like, oh, you need the bathroom. And okay, children aside, they're a different kettle of fish, but, you know, oh, I just need the bathroom, I'm just going to go. But theatres... He also called for a halving of the quota for discretionary places where parents directly approach schools of their choice if they're not happy with the central allocation. A global study says climate warming emissions linked to electricity production are expected to fall this year due to a boom in renewables. It says 2023 is likely to mark the first fall in the use of coal, oil and gas for energy, apart from during the pandemic.
And the U.S. Defense Secretary says he's determined to find the source of a leak of classified U.S. documents, many of them linked to the war in Ukraine. The files have been circulating online for weeks. Lloyd Austin told a news conference in Washington that a criminal investigation is underway. We'll have more on these and other stories at 11 o'clock. Cancer is preventable, and regular screening is an effective way of preventing it. Women aged 25 to 64 who ever had sex should have regular cervical screening. There's no need to be embarrassed, even if you're busy or have received the HPV vaccine. 
you still need regular screening. Love yourself.